Hello and welcome to The Dirt in association with the National Trust. This is the podcast that encourages you to love everything you grow, even the bindweed. I'm Laura, editor of Grow Your Own magazine. And I'm deputy editor Blake. We'll have the chance for you to get 10% off everything on the National Trust online shop and seasonal tasks for your winter garden too later in the show. But first, let's head to the big garden clinic with Simon Toomer from the National Trust to answer some of your questions. Good afternoon, Simon. Hello, Blake, and hello, Laura. Hello. How are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. I'd love to see a bit more sunshine, but no, it's it's, it's good here. It's disappearing very quickly at the moment where I'm sitting, which is um, always sad. Yeah, do you know what? We've actually had a flood warning in Ipswich for the last couple of days, which, I mean, in this particular bit of Ipswich, I have to be honest, we haven't seen an enormous amount of rain, but apparently there is a flood warning in place. Mm, Seems a bit early in the year for that, doesn't it? It really does, yeah. So we'll take any little bits of sun we get, I think. (laughs) So diving straight into the questions that we have been sent in by listeners. Firstly, we have one that's been sent in by Lord David Allen on Facebook, who has said, do I admit defeat and pull out my sweet corn as it's attempted to produce, but I planted it rather late? Oh, it does seem rather late now, doesn't it? I think (laughs) it's very optimistic to think that you're this time of year is going to do much more, really. So I, I think probably with um, reluctance, probably, yes, I think you probably do need to admit defeat at this stage. I think with sweet corn, it's one of those things that it needs uh, quite a warm soil, doesn't it, before mm. you can really sow it. But it also needs a long season to ripen properly. So it's, it's one of those where, you know, you've got a real advantage, a head start if you've got a, a, a glass house or a, a frame or something to get things going yeah. a, a, a month earlier, really, I think. You know, I think it was it May is normally the time, isn't it, for, for planting out outside for sweet corn, and mm. uh, perhaps perhaps just need to try to try <laughs> sow a bit earlier next year, maybe. And um, so you mentioned sort of undercover growing spaces there, if you've got them. But what advice would you give to anyone who doesn't have access to those those sort of spaces? Is there anything that they can do to extend their season a bit? You can, you know, m- make a kind of just. I mean, the, the important thing is it's really keeping getting things going without the danger of frost and just having a slightly warmer seed bed really so you know you can do that artificially by if you've got if you've got a conservatory or even just a you know a warm window or something in your house or or, or you know you can even go and make make yourself a nice little frame with a glass glass or poly um you know a polycarbonate mm-hmm. roof just just to just to allow the sun to 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 warm the soil and and for it not to cool down at night really so yeah and that and that can give you that sort of two or three week head start that can make all the difference with with crops like sweet corn i think yeah yeah and then that's a nice little garden diy project as well isn't it we do love it is those. and it's yeah it's probably a really good thing to do um through the winter as well when you know you you're you're, you're itching to do something but maybe um you know it's, there's a, there's less jobs to be done really yeah mm-hmm. preparing and dreaming of the spring oh yes, yes. <laughs> mm. um so the second question that we've had this time is um we've actually like the amateurs we are have written down the question and forgotten to write down the name of the person that sent it in on social media so we will credit you on social media but for now this is a nameless gardener um and they say i lost a victoria plum tree and an ornamental cherry to canker this year is there any sort of fruit tree i can put in place of the plum would like to have a cooking apple variety in the garden and what can replace the ornamental cherry it was chosen for its autumn color and spring blossom yeah cherry trees plum trees i mean they're 
they're, they're quite closely related. A lot of fruit trees in the in the rose family, Rosaceae, are very susceptible to disease, and particularly mm-hmm. um, bacterial and fungal diseases. Very often, people when they say um, canker, you know, it's it's a bit of a sort of a bucket phrase, really. But canker normally is the bacterial uh, disease, or one of them, often often caused by an, a, a bacterium called Pseudomonas. Um, you can. You can often it often starts with this sort of what we, we often call shot blasting in the leaves, which mm-hmm. is you know little holes. Um, perhaps more 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 diagnostically is when when you get these lesions and, and gumming around these sort of splits in the bark, and that's that's really sort of what you often see with these bacterial diseases in, in cherries and plums and other and other fruit. Um, very often you can you know you can get around that by by cutting out the disease material and, and, and burning it. But sometimes as probably in this case, it just got so bad. It, this person had to remove the, remove the plant. Um, so if you catch it early, you can kind of, you can combat the problem without losing the tree. Yeah. And it's really sometimes with some kinds of plant diseases, you know, we think it's either a plant's got it or it hasn't, but, but very often with, the, with these kind of diseases, they're, they're, they're chronic and, and they tend to come and go and get worse some years than others, depending on the climate. So, you know, it, it is a matter of vigilance, keep keeping on top of it very often. And some, and some varieties are more susceptible than others, particularly in, in cherries and, and, and plums as well. And I know there are some more resistant, uh, plums i think marjorie's seedling and and is one of them and i think there's another one called warwickshire drooper i think that's another one that's 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 considered to have a a level of of resistance um so you know but i think this person's thinking about cooking a a, a cooking apple variety well you know i think people people are a bit more relaxed aren't they these days about the the distinction between cooking apples (laughs) and uh, and dessert apples aren't they i mean people always say well if you want to cook an apple it's got to be a bramley and i love bramleys um and there's nothing wrong with that but very often uh, i don't know i sometimes look at recipes of apple crumbles and things and they seem to use all sorts of things these days braybuns are are quite popular granny smith as well so um, one one of those i think i think one of those would, would be fine um I think the other thing was about an ornamental cherry. Um, yeah, I've got. I'm really lucky where I live. There's some. One of my neighbours has got a, a big cherry tree, and I know it, it got fantastic autumn colour this year. And that was um, a Kanzan, which is you know one of the most popular ones. It's got this sort of real sugary pink. It's, it's actually it's, for me, it's a little bit too sugary pink. It's a bit sort of Barbara Cartland <laughs> for my taste, but you know, depends what you like. Um, I, I, there's so much variety, isn't there, in cherries? Going, you know, the, the, the Japanese with all their what's often called the the Sato Zakura cherries. Um, I think it means uh, the village cherries that have been bred for hundreds of years from the wild types. Um, and there's some of my favourites. I, I actually prefer the white ones. I, mm. It's just me, I expect. But there's one that I love called Shirate, which is a. It, I mean, a lot of a lot of the uh, the choice on these comes down to how big a tree you yeah. want, depending on space. Shirate is a medium size, sort of smallish, medium sized tree. Lovely big white flowers. Um, another one is um, uh, Shiro Fugen. It's another one of the of the Sato Zakura. So, it's a sort of paler pink, mm. much paler pink than um, Kanzan, much more to my taste. So, you know, there's a massive amount of choice and it really depends on, you know, what, what you love and, and awesome colour. Most of them have autumn colour. Um, and they, I love the autumn colour on cherries, actually. It's often mm. overlooked, but it's that lovely kind of warm marmalade orange, I mm-hmm. often, often describe it as, which is uh, quite distinctive. And this year was actually a very good year for 
for autumn color on cherries. So yeah, there's there's a couple of ideas, but really there is yeah. a huge amount of choice. I think there's something to be said there, Simon, as well, for moving in next door to somebody that's got one and they can do all the kind of maintenance <laughs> of it and you just get to enjoy it from over the fence. I, I, like I think it. it's particularly, oh. <laughs> particularly true if, if their garden's about 10 times the size of yours <laughs> yeah. and they can, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I do think it's a really nice discussion to have though, because I think often when you start thinking about getting into growing fruit trees, if you don't have a huge amount of knowledge of the varieties available, it's really easy to lean on the things that perhaps you've seen in the supermarket or things that you have you have knowledge of already. So it's great to hear about some varieties that can make you spread your net a little bit wider. Yeah, I think I think yeah, some gardeners instinctively like to try something new, don't they? And, I, and, I, and I'm with them on that one, yeah. So moving on to our final question for this episode, which came in from Lucy via email. She's asked, someone on our local allotment site has given up their plot and I'm the lucky recipient. I'm very excited for spring, but is there anything I can do on my new plot now? Mm-hmm. Raring to go by the sound of it. <laughs> I remember um, I, I once, I once um, after being on the waiting list for about two years when I lived in Bristol for, a, for, a, for an allotment, I got one, and but it was in a terrible state. You know, it was one of these that hadn't been worked. Well, it had been, it had been, you know, in someone's ownership for a long time, but they'd, they'd lost interest and it was mm-hmm. covered in brambles and all sorts so a lot depends on what what sort of state it's in at the moment I think um you know whether you've got a winter of of getting on top trying to get on top of weeds pulling out brambles or or if it's in really good good heart already and particularly if it's already got some crops on it you know um you might be harvesting already but um you know I think I think thinking about you know preparing for for next year it's it's it, the most important things are weeds, um, keeping on control of weeds, mulching, helping the soil along if if you can. If if you if you already know what you know where, what you want to plant, where you want to plant it, you can start that planning. I mean, you might even want to start planting bare rooted fruit plants, you know, yeah. um, soft fruit and those sorts of things. Um, but I think one of the things I often say is is to people who are you know the kind of really energetic gardeners who really want to do things is just remember that sometimes um, doing nothing can be the best thing. And certainly in terms of soil, being on the soil and working the soil in winter, mm-hmm. it's not always great, you know, particularly if it's very wet or frozen. And there's usually other jobs, you know, you know how, how about how about making sure your compost bins are in good heart? Have you got enough capacity? Build another one, you know, that's yeah. those sorts of things. And um, uh, there's And there's also... You know, is there a shed? Does it need? Does it need repair? You know, all those kinds of practical things, just so that when the spring does come and the planting season does come, you can hit the ground running. Really, yeah, I do think that's another one of those things that, however long you've been growing, it's a lesson that. Well, <laughs> only speaking for myself here, but I never really <laughs> learn that at the start of every season, I still have that burst of real spring enthusiasm, and then sometimes think maybe I should have just taken a minute to to assess the situation before diving straight in (laughs) but it's just as soon as you get the the right conditions for it it's just it's so exciting isn't it every year yeah i think having a bit of thinking time is not not such a bad thing but um yeah definitely um well thank you very much for all of your advice again simon and we will see you again next next episode but for now blake i have a question for you (laughs) And that question is, what on earth? (laughs) 
This mini-series of The Dirt is in association with the National Trust. The National Trust is a conservation charity founded in 1895 by three people, Octavia Hill, Sir Robert Hunter and Hardwick Rawnsley, who saw the importance of the nation's heritage and open spaces and wanted to preserve them for everyone to enjoy. This year, the charity celebrates its 125th anniversary, and these values are still at the heart of everything it does. To help mark this significant moment in its history, the Trust has committed to achieving a net zero carbon emissions by 2030 and establishing 20 million trees to help tackle climate change. Entirely independent of the government, the National Trust looks after more than 250,000 hectares of countryside, 780 miles of coastline and hundreds of special places all across England, Wales and Northern Ireland. As Europe's largest conservation charity, the National Trust receives around 27 million visits each year to the places it cares for that have an entry fee, and an estimated 100 million visits to the outdoor places looked after by the charity. Together with 5.6 million members and more than 65,000 volunteers, these visitors help to support the conservation charity in its vital work. The National Trust is delighted to offer the Dirt listeners a 10% discount on its online shop where you'll find loads of gardening tools and accessories as well as books, stationery, clothes, toys, food and drink and much more. Simply use the code NTGROW10 at the checkout when you visit nationaltrust.org.uk forward slash shop until the end of the year. That's N-T-G-R-O-W-1-0. And you can check out the episode notes for full details and terms. All income generated through the online shop supports the work the National Trust does to care for nature, beauty and history. For everyone, forever. Blake. What on earth is going on? <laughs> I really think it's worrying that we're only on episode three and we've already exhausted all of the puns. Maybe that should be our questions for next episode. Please send us some more what on earth puns. Definitely. That would be quite useful. Have you been sent any brilliant answers to last week's questions? There's been quite the uptake on these questions, actually. So thanks to everybody that has been getting in touch. Um, I've picked out this one from Thomas, which came in via email, uh, who says, I always used to put off mowing the lawn. Mm. Oh, I should probably say this is in reply to the question about um, things that you don't like doing and maybe put off and how you deal with them. So yeah, he says, I always used to put off mowing the lawn. It is a job I really didn't enjoy, but as luck would have it, now I don't have to. Leaving the grass longer and letting flowers that grow in the lawn come up just out of laziness to start with, has meant a massive increase in bees and butterflies in my garden. So now I have a brilliant excuse not to mow the grass and would encourage other gardeners not to as well. Yes. I love this. This is brilliant. We should all not mow the grass. Yeah. This is something that I can get on board with. Yes. Don't want to do a job? Hope that it's going to attract more insects, (laughs) bees and pollinators to your garden. Yes. Job done. (laughs) Help nature. Don't mow your lawn. I think that's a brilliant Let's get it on a (laughs) t-shirt. Coming soon. (laughs) Um, No, that's a really brilliant one. And I've actually got a short and sweet answer to the DIY garden tools question. 
Um, and this has come in via email from Diane, who said, my DIY garden tool is quite simple. I have an old pencil I used to keep in the shed for making notes on seed packets or update my gardening calendar. But now its full-time job is as a dibber. Simple and effective, I think. Uh. Yes. I would say that I think even when you have a dibber, lots of things that aren't a dibber end up being the dibber. Yeah. I just kind of use my finger. That works. <laughs> a dibber that you just can't buy in the shops. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it <laughs> takes a while to clean and get the dirt out of afterwards. Oh, um, yes. But yeah, a pencil's a good idea, I think, as long as you're not like me and then you go and chew the pencil afterwards and you get all oh, yes. dirt in your mouth. Oh, my goodness. Nobody wants that. That has actually just given me huge flashbacks to office life because obviously we can't see each other when we're working at the moment Aww. but I do remember that there were always pens in various <laughs> various stages of <laughs> stages of chewing <laughs> oh in all of the excitement I just dropped my pen getting so <laughs> flustered <laughs> thanks Laura for announcing that to I mean, sorry. thousands of listeners um but it is true. Mm. Uh, I've got better, actually. I have got better. Maybe this is the key. Maybe I need to use my pens more frequently as dippers in the garden, and then I'll yes. be less likely to put them in my mouth. Yeah. So the final email that I was going to read out today, uh, actually, it wasn't an email. It was on Facebook. Ian in Shropshire contacted us to tell us about his earliest gardening memory. Um, he reminisced, I can't have been much older than about five or six when I first remember helping my dad out on his allotment. My role was to pass him the packets of seeds, which felt like a very important job to me at oh, the time. It is. I think still is uh, for me. Especially when I once gave him the carrot packet upside down and they all spilled onto the floor oh, of no. the greenhouse. We've all been there. Mm. Uh they all started to grow on the greenhouse floor and might have been better than the ones we eventually grew outside. Who would have thought it? <gasps> wow. Does he mean like they fell through the slats in the floor and grew in the ground? Maybe. I think some greenhouses don't have like a, Actual a floors, solid floor, do yeah. they? They're just kind of like on the wow. dirt. I mean, that's the thing with, with gardening, isn't it? You give your plants all the it's TLC always, in the world and it's the yeah. ones that you've it's just accidentally the that never thrown go to on plan. the floor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Especially with carrots, like they're quite notoriously a bit of a pain sometimes to get right, aren't they? So imagine yeah. like later in the summer finding all these carrot tops coming out of the ground. Yeah, very strange, but a very fun gardening memory, I think. What on earth? <laughs> yeah, what on earth is that? <laughs> That's probably what they asked as it <laughs> okay. came up. So I think we should um, put some more questions out there and uh, see what we get back for next episode. Yes. So the first question that we would like to ask is, looking ahead to the new growing year, what are you most excited to grow? Maybe it's a brand new variety or a new veg for you, or just something that you think you'd do a better job with next year. Mm. The next question, if you could receive any gardening gift this festive season, what would it be? And then obviously we can't round off the year of podcasting without asking what are your gardening new year's resolutions <gasps> now do you have any answers for these blake uh i think that my gardening new year's resolution is going to be 
hold off a little bit at the start of the season. Don't get too excited. Just wait. Mm. Wait until the right moment and then get going. Because I think the last couple of years I've just been, um, yeah, just a bit eager to start, which is yeah. fine. But then you so everything in one go and you know I'm going to plan things out I've already started a little bit I'm sort of working out what I want to start when and and maybe have a bit more of a successional growing thing going Ooh, on oh yeah um, good idea stay tuned to find out whether <laughs> I manage <laughs> uh, the answer I can tell you is going to be no <laughs> well you know you can try yeah how about you well I think gardening gifts if I could receive any gardening gifts this festive season I think there's two things and they're both pet related. I would like a cold frame, which I believe I've talked pet about before. Related. Oh yeah, I'm not going to put my pets in the cold frame. <laughs> the reason it's pet related is that I often have to either ask my dad to start my seeds for me or sling them outside and hope for the best because um, my cats knock everything off of the windowsills. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I remember you saying. And chew plants. So I need a cold frame to put things in outside. And then the second prong of that is I don't like having a plantless house. So I think the other thing I would quite like this festive season is some house plants that are not toxic to animals. So things that they can basically chew and ruin and at least it won't kill them. So <laughs> if anyone's got any recommendations for things that maybe their pets don't like chewing but still won't poison them, that would be great. I'd love that. That would be nice. Yeah, you don't want one that they are going to chew just because it's not poisonous and then you still don't have any houseplants because your cats have been having a nice little extra meal. This is so true. So we want to hear from you about those questions. Have you got any answers, any exciting little anecdotes that you want to share with all of our listeners? Um, so if you can get in touch, you can email us on thedirt at growfruitandveg.co.uk or you can just drop us a message on our social media channels and we'll see them there. Lovely. And... I have a little garden checklist for everybody. Oh yeah, I forgot. You've got a checklist, haven't you? <laughs> I have, and it will be coming up after this. Have you been taking prunings from your trees? If so, twiggy cuttings make ideal supports for peas and dwarf beans, so why not give it a try? They can look really decorative on the plot, and you get to boost your eco-credentials too. If you have a greenhouse, now is a good time to give the gutters a good clear out, given it isn't the most glamorous of gardening jobs, but they will get clogged up with slimy leaves if left, so make sure you tick this off the list. Avoid waterlogging in pots over the winter months by lifting them onto pot feet or bricks. This will keep your container grown crops happy when the weather gets wetter. That's all for now. We hope you're staying toasty on the plot and enjoying lots of flasks of tea. We certainly are here. Until next time, from Blake and me, happy growing. Thanks again for listening to this mini-series of The Dirt. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast for free to make sure you never miss an episode. We'd love it if you rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to spread the word at your allotment site. Plus, as a special treat, we've got an exclusive Grow Your Own magazine offer just for the dirt listeners. Head to growfruitandveg.co.uk forward slash gpod7, that's G-P-O-D and the number seven, 
or call 0800 904 7000 and quote GPOD 7 to receive seven issues of Grow Your Own straight to your door for just $29.99. That's a saving of $11.94. Every issue is packed with gardening advice, expert tips and tricks and jobs to tick off your list and each magazine comes with a selection of free seeds. Check the episode notes for details and terms. And a final exciting note, keep an eye on our social media platforms to see the questions we'll be discussing in next episode's What on Earth section. Reply with your answers and you could appear on the show. The weirder and wackier the better. <laughs>